What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Current. Uh, we got a really cool episode planned today um, through my buddies at iStrike. They've connected me with, with uh, the president of Z-Man, and uh, just excited to introduce y'all to him in a second. And we're going to have him um, kind of tell us his story, his fishing story, how he got into inshore and saltwater fishing, as well as uh, you know a, a deep look at Z-Man fishing products and why they're such incredible uh, soft plastics for inshore fishing. So really excited about that. Before we get into that, though. Um, just wanted to remind y'all about our uh, private Facebook group that you can, if you're a listener of this show, you can join that and you'll be able to um, connect with other anglers and hopefully uh, create some fishing buddies through that and get out in the water um, with some new people. Other thing is, if you do love this podcast and you want to help support us financially, you can check out our Patreon page. I will link that in the YouTube notes as well as the show notes on the on the different podcast platforms. But um, that's enough of me talking. I'm going to bring on our guest here, Daniel. What's going on, man? Not a whole lot. Just trying to survive this uh, COVID nineteen thing. I know, man. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, that's not. I, I feel like some people have really enjoyed the working from home, and I know other people that are like, I cannot wait to get back to work. <laughs> yeah, I've actually enjoyed it more than I thought. I mean, I'm definitely uh, you know itching to get out of the house, but uh, you know, I'm going to go in, go into the office, and check on everything at the plant and the warehouse this afternoon. But it's right it's kind of nice to. You know, get up early, work for a little while, exercise, get back to work, drink some coffee. It's kind of a nice little uh, routine. I yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get to kind of change your workflow up a little bit. I feel like when you're at the office, like you get to the office and you're at the office for the day, but it lets you kind of flow back and forth a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of nice. I, uh, I've i got some friends with, with some – they just had kids within the past year and they're – they're uh, they're like oh my gosh it is a lot to be a stay at home parent you know staying at <laughs> home with the kids all day I'm, I'm I'm excited to go back to my job so uh, oh, yeah, it's it's funny the different perspectives <laughs> yeah for sure well cool well let's start out with uh, let, let's kind of hear your backstory where you grew up how you got into fishing um, and saltwater fishing at that and and just kind of to where you are now if you want to take us through that journey. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a cool story, actually, Judd. I mean, I grew up right here. I live in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, cool. which is you know right near right near Charleston. Um, and I grew up in Charleston, about five minutes from downtown. Um, the, the way I got into saltwater fishing, nobody in my family fished. Uh, we had a bunch of people: my great grandfather, my great uncles, my cousins, my my father a little bit. They were all really into sailing and were around the water. Uh, but they had a beach house. Our family had a beach house at Sullivan's Island, which is one of the barrier islands yeah. here. It's just north of Charleston Harbor. And when I was two years old, I guess my dad had an old fishing rod, and he took me down to the beach to fish. And uh, somehow we managed to snag a, a dead crab, and, and, and I was hooked. And that's kind of how, how I started fishing. Uh, saltwater fishing was, was at the beach in the summertime. We would spend the month of August out at that house. Um, our family would stay out there in August, July 4th. We would have a big family celebration. One of my um, uncles uh, used to bring a rod out and surf fish, and I'd stand in the surf with him. We'd catch pompano and whiting and spots, and occasionally a a, a little uh, redfish, which we would call a spot tail bass. Oh yeah. Um, and and that's kind of how I got into it. And um, growing up. Uh, we had, you know, friends and family that had docks on the intracoastal waterway and tidal creeks, um, and we used to fish. You know, it was just, you know, cut shrimp on a on a two hook bottom rig with a one ounce pyramid sinker kind of fishing. Yep. Uh, but every chance that um, that I would get, I would try to convince my father to take me fishing, whether it was off of a dock or a bridge. 
Um, and, you know, I think I was four years old uh, when I caught my first redfish, six years old when I caught my first flounder. Um, grow, in about third grade, my family moved to a house that was on the, on the marsh, and two doors down from them was on a tidal creek, and all the houses had docks. So I would, you know, go crabbing after school, learn how to throw a cast net. And when I was probably in sixth or seventh grade, is when I started putting a, a, a smoke with silver flake, Mr. Twister, curly tail on a red lead head. Yeah. Uh, and caught my first red on uh, on an artificial. So that's kind of how I got started. That's super cool, man. It's uh, That's always one of my favorite parts of this podcast is hearing different people's stories. There's a lot of the, oh, you know, I started at a little bass pond catching bass. But mm-hmm. when you hear someone that their first experience was on salt water, it's a little rare. And even if people that grew up, you know, around the salt water, it's, it seems like the bass is the fish that gets most people into it. But that's funny, man. It's like as a kid, your first, the first thing you caught on a rod and reel is a dead crab. And yeah, yeah. like it just, you, it, it's not even about the fish. It's like, oh, I can throw this out there. And like bring something back in, you know, that I think that was like the intriguing thing as a kid, not knowing what you were going to catch. It wasn't even like, I want to go catch a redfish. It was just like the unknown of what, what was going to happen. Oh yeah. And that's why I always loved, you know, just crabbing. I mean, tying a chicken neck to a, to a chalk line, we used to call it with right. a sink, scooping them up or, or throwing a, a cast net in the, um, you know, and the tide pulls out of the beach and, you know, catching mullet and mud minnows and a shrimp occasionally and baby pompano and, you know, just, just seeing what kind of falls out of the net. That was always so Right, cool. right. My favorite thing as a kid, we had one of those seine nets that you could take mm-hmm. on the beach and when the wave washed up, stick it in the sand and catch all those little baby pompano. Man, that was it's so fun. Everyone on the beach would stop too and start watching. They're like, what are you doing? What are you catching? I was so. one of those people. I remember watching people dragging those same nets in the surf and the tide pool and thought it was like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> I always wanted one, but I never had one. They were, uh, they were pretty fun. Me and my dad used to do that together a bunch. It was mm-hmm. a good pastime. But uh, so, All right, so from there, you've, you've obviously progressed into to quite the angler talking to Dave. I was like, is mm-hmm. this – because he was he was explaining all his relationships. Like, does he fish a bunch? Like, is he an angler? Or is he more of like a – like a, just the president, is, he's like, oh, he's the best, one of the best fishermen I know. So, um, <laughs> well, I t- saying that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm definitely not one of the best fishermen that I know. So, uh, well, it just depends on the circles you run in. You know, you got to yeah, just yeah. hang out with less, lesser fishermen. <laughs> yeah, Dave, Dave must hang out with some pretty bad anglers. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, how has uh, you know your story kind of led you into working in the fishing industry? Yeah, yeah. So, th- and and that's kind of neat, actually. It's really kind of a roundabout way. And, you know, all through high school and everything, I was just really into fishing. When I was yeah. 13 years old, um, I, you know, saved up money and I paid half and my dad paid half. We got a 15-foot boat. That turned into a 17-foot Boston whaler when I was a, a junior in high school. And I started getting into, you know, the offshore fishing stuff. I mean, taking that 17-foot whaler, you know, 30 miles offshore and started <laughs> working on bigger boats and, you know, worked on head boats in the, in the summertime. And that kind of led me to, um, to college where I studied marine biology and, and marine fisheries policy. I mean, that's kind of, you know, what I was into and, you know, went back and worked on boats in the summer, eventually worked in labs. And, um, and my whole goal at that time was kind of a little bit of a struggle for me. Like, do I want to do something with marine biology or fisheries? Um, or do I want to, do something that will enable me 
to live the kind of lifestyle where I can fish all the time. Right. And I kind of chose the latter. I ended up, in hindsight, maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it wasn't a mistake. I don't know. I guess it wasn't a mistake because I ended up where I am now, which is which is amazing. Um, but I decided to go to law school after I graduated college. And uh, I went to law school at the University of South Carolina here uh, in Columbia, about two hours away, because I knew that would get me back to Charleston quickly. And that's that's all I wanted to do was get <laughs> at home, you know, get a job, buy a house and buy a boat so I could offshore fish. So, you know, I did that. I was I guess I was I guess I was only 24 years old when I finished law school, moved back home and I bought a. 1981 24 foot hydro sports and rebuilt the transom and repowered it and that's back before yellowfin tuna were extinct here and now you can't catch one but you know so i was into the offshore stuff and i i practiced law for three years and absolutely hated it um you know honestly i mean i was i was depressed i was miserable i was you know able to do the things that i love but i just hated my day-to-day job and uh, I just got married and I told my wife, um, you know, we got married in, in January and in July, I quit practicing law and uh, went to work for a company here in Charleston called the Charleston Angler. They had um, one shop um, at the time. It was like a high end, like, you know, fly fishing, light tackle, uh, you know, sold, you know, Sims and Orvis and Patagonia, you know, in addition to tackle and live shrimp and live mud minnows and all that good stuff but they were opening their second location and i hired as um as the manager of that second location and i knew nothing about retail um (laughs) which so i I have no idea why they they uh they gave me the job uh but i was energetic and passionate about it um and so i took that job opened that store uh managed uh, both of their stores we we're actually in the process of opening a third store when i hit the two-year mark at the charleston angler and i told my wife that um you know i was going to do that for two years and then decide what i wanted to do when i grew up and <laughs> so i was trying to decide what i wanted to do when i grew up and i was looking at um you know into like medical device sales and and you know all kind of stuff really looking yeah. into going back to practicing law in a different area which i didn't want to do um and you know honestly the opportunity to run z-man really just fell in my lap i mean at the time nobody had really heard of z-man the company had been around i mean now with the company's been around for about 35 years believe it or not really time, we're really just selling um silicone skirts like you see on a bass jig or a bass spinner bait mm-hmm. To, uh, to other companies. We were making some soft plastics for Strike King. We had a lure called the, the, the Chatterbait. It's mainly a bass fishing lure, although I know you know from going to Louisiana, it works great for oh, yeah. Ariana and some other places. Um, and, and sheep's uh, head in Louisiana, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Those sheep's head down there are nuts. I They're so nuts. Eating one up here. But um, yeah, and... The opportunity just kind of fell in my lap, right place at the right time. They were looking for somebody to to run the company. Um, it was a family company, and the uh, president of the company at the time was was basically stepping up from being the president of Z-Man to being the president of the parent company, which owns another a, a number of other corporate entities. Gotcha. So um, I kind of had the opportunity to come in and. And the task I was given was basically, you know, 
turn this company into a consumer brand so we can control our own destiny. And that was, that was a little over 11 years ago now. Wow. Well, you've done that, man. I mean, I don't know many people around here that don't have at least 20 packs of Z-Mans in their boat at a time. Like it's, it's crazy how big of a name Z-Man is now. I, I would say with most of the anglers, at least here on the East coast, it, it's like almost a household name as far as, you know, when you start talking about tackle and soft plastics and, um, the, I think the big thing, man, one, it's it just the marketing is done so well, I believe. And the branding is done so well. Like it just, it, it feels like, it's keeping up with the times as far as fishing goes, which a lot of companies aren't. You know, a lot of companies, they kind of still feel a little older. Um, I, yeah, I, and, and, and that's kind of one of our, you know, it's interesting that you said that. First of all, it's, it's so awesome to hear you say that, you know, it's, that we're kind of a household name. Because, you know, <laughs> five years ago, we, we weren't. I mean, ten years ago, we definitely weren't. And that's kind of what we've been going for. Um, and, you know, from a marketing standpoint, what you mentioned really, you know, it, it's true because we knew, you know, 10, 11 years ago, we're not going to be able to outspend, you know, the Berkeleys and the right. Strike Kings and, you know, all these other bigger companies. We're going to have to outwork them and be more creative than they are. So that's why, like, we've gotten on, we got on the social media bandwagon really early, like the digital video bandwagon really yeah. early. Um, you know, we just try to be more progressive and we try to work harder than everybody else when it comes to marketing. And we, and we want it to be authentic too. Yeah. I mean, the fact is, is that, you know, whether it's me or our marketing guy, Shane, or our national sales manager, Glenn, or our, you know, plant operations manager, Donnie, I mean, we're, we're all out, you know, fishing these baits on the weekends, right. and, you know, living the, living the lifestyle. And, you know, we try to. We try to make it authentic. I think that's so important, man. And it, it definitely feels that way when you look at the company. It feels very authentic as as to – oops, I just kicked kicked some of my cords connected to my computer. I get nervous when I do that. But um, no, man, it feels so authentic. The branding is like super legit and it feels, you know – I don't know. There's, there's other companies out there. Yeah. That, that that just don't feel like Z-Man. Like Z-Man feels like a community. It feels like a a brand. Like something it, – it feels like a movement that people want to be a part of. Like if you're not fishing Z-Man, at least that's how it feels here in North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, oh, good. And so – and the – yeah, the the diesel minnows changed my life in, uh, just in a, in, a, in a small way. But, man, that 7-inch – I have buddies that were fishing like this, the 7-inch diesel minnows this winter for trout and catching – Really? Catching big trout on the 7-inch diesel yeah. minnows. But also, I was seeing pictures of them with like 14-inch trout with a 7-inch diesel minnow hanging out of his mouth. Yeah, I so. started throwing the 5-inch this past fall. And I normally don't throw uh, – I mean, I, I throw a lot of smaller stuff, you know, like our 3-inch yeah. minnows and our 4-inch jerk shad. I just, I just kind of, you know, fish lighter tackle and smaller stuff a lot. But I started throwing that 5-inch, which is still a pretty big profile for inshore. Yeah. And I was shocked at – I mean, I caught big trout on it, and I caught big reds on it, but I was shocked at the number of 14-inch trout and 18-inch eight inch reds that ate that. Oh, yeah. But it's crazy. It makes sense with that 7-inch. I got to I gotta give that one a shot. I know the big trout would hammer. Oh, if you, like, know a spot. I haven't thrown it at all, but if you know the spot, you know, the right time of year where the spot where yeah. the big fish is, I think that's going to get him to eat. And he was throwing it a lot in the surf, so he was surf fishing yeah, with it. Yeah. Um, and doing really well. I had I had seven citations this winter, and six of them came on the the five inch diesel minnow. 
Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I need to be throwing that now because really now through, um, you know, the beginning of June is kind of our time to catch the big trout. Yeah. They start ganging up to, to spawn and uh, fished yesterday morning and, and caught a few, you know, pretty good ones. I don't think ours get quite as big as yours do up there. You know, anything over 20 inches is pretty solid here. Yeah, and anything yeah. over 24, you're doing something special. Right, right. Yeah, North Carolina, man, it's a special place for trout. And I've talked to people on the podcast about um, the trout here and, and guys from Texas, and they're like, man, if y'all had your, your you know, your laws straight, and I'm not going to yeah. get make this a political conversation, right. but y'all people wouldn't be traveling to Texas for big trout. They'd be traveling to the Pamlico Sound to catch big trout. So, well, just the number of big trout I've seen this past year, um, you know, coming from from up there, mostly a little bit north of you. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been pretty eye opening to me. Um, you know how many, you know, eight nine pound trout are yeah. being caught. There. it's impressive it's impressive it's a it's a stressor for me like every time i see one i'm like dang it i gotta get out get up north yeah, again yeah. and fish but um but that's super cool man yeah just an encouragement to y'all as a brand is i don't think there's anyone else that's doing it as well as y'all are as far as the branding and stuff goes and um you know i would compare it to like the yetis and the you know the companies like that that really focus on that that branding and and creating a movement and a community and i think that's what z-man's doing so at least it's done that to me so yeah yeah much appreciated that for sure a lot. Thank you. for sure so um when did you make that transition were you inshore fishing all along when you were into the offshore fishing too or did you kind of come back into that more when you when you found z-man yeah kind of a little bit of both i mean all through all through high school even when i fished you know off started getting into offshore um I, you know, I still fished inshore. One of my, my best friend in high school had a had a flats boat, which was yeah. one of the first, uh, maybe not one of the first, but there, you didn't see a lot of boats with polling platforms. Uh, we were catching, you know, tailing redfish in the grass. We were 16 years old before before it was cool. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. And he was he was using a fly rod. I wasn't at the time, but you know, so I was always kind of into it. And I had friends. I mean, kind of my. Uh, you know, my fishing father, the guy that kind of took me under his wing fishing offshore um, in high school, um, you know, kind of working on his boat. He fished inshore, too. So I kind of did it and then got tunnel vision on the offshore stuff and, you know, college, law school afterwards. And really kind of what drove me back, a couple of things drove me back to the inshore. Um, one is when I worked at the Charleston Angler, you know, I was still fishing offshore a lot, especially with mm -hmm. customers. But started getting back into the inshore, got into, you know, fly fishing again and, you know, got an eight weight to, you know, fish for, for tailing reds and all that. Um, and then um, when, uh, right before I started to work for Z-Man, about two months before, uh, my wife and I had our, our son, Evan. Yeah. And when Evan was born, I knew that my uh, offshore time was going to be severely curtailed mm -hmm. so he was born in august i started working in z-man at z-man in october and in november i bought a, a, a 2016 foot hughes bone fisher and nice. that's what's that's what's sitting directly under me right now in our garage <laughs> i still have that boat and use it every week um because you know i knew that i wasn't going to be fishing offshore as much and it's funny you know now I'll fish offshore of Charleston two times a year if I'm lucky. You know, I'll get to go to been really lucky get to go places like Louisiana and fish offshore down there, which I love. 
but I'd much rather, you know, go out alone and, and fish artificials and, you know, kind of do, do what I'm doing now than fish offshore. I don't know if I've just outgrown it or if it's just kind of moving on to, it seems more challenging to me. It's more rewarding. It's just a lot more fun. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's cool too to be a well-rounded angler, like one that's maybe not doing it all right now, but you know, you've yeah. got you've kind of you know dabbled in everything. I think it makes you a better angler all around. Um, and to, to that point, I mean, I think like being exposed to bass fishing, which I've always liked bass fishing, but I've never you know it was like bass fishing in you know ponds and lakes, but now being exposed to like these tournament guys and getting to you know travel and fish with them and. Uh, you know, I've really enjoyed, um, you know, fishing up north for smallmouth bass. Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, made me a much better finesse fisherman, which, you know, translates into, into you know, being able to catch trout and reds in tough conditions down here. Um, and, you know, the, the, the bass fishing side of it and what I've learned from our bass guys has really helped me become a much better saltwater angler. And that's something that I think a lot of a lot of inshore guys could probably apply as well. I would agree a hundred percent, man. And I've said it on this podcast multiple times. Like I I love the YouTube channel Tactical Bassin. Have you ever watched that mm-hmm. one? There's just yes. so many good so many good details and they go so in depth. But man, there almost every tackle piece of tackle and bait that's come into the like the redfish world was being thrown for bass first yeah um, yeah i'm with you and the, yeah the finesse fishing that smallmouth fishing and 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 whatnot it, it's it couldn't help you anymore with trout you know like it's it's right on par and same with redfish i mean there's so much you can learn and apply across the board from every fish well, i mean the other thing too is just watching these guys fish i mean i know a lot of you know really good saltwater anglers i mean we work with a lot and i've gotten to fish with a lot of good captains and guides and you know writers and other anglers that are really accomplished but in terms of you know casting accuracy being able to see fish you know making as many casts as possible and just you know being able to vary presentations instincts i mean very few saltwater guys can touch what these bass guys can do yeah. and 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 you, you share a boat with them and and you realize pretty quick you know i'm not very good at fishing compared to these guys and it kind of makes you want it a little bit more like my favorite my favorite people to take fishing here are our bass pros our our touring bass pros and like i don't even like pulling a boat unless one of those guys is on the front because you know they're going to hit every target they're going to see every fish they're going to catch every fish they see. It's just crazy how good those guys are. Yeah, it really is. It's, you know, like a lot of saltwater guys will knock bass fishing. They're like, oh, man, mm-hmm. bass fishing's stupid. Um, but, man, it is so much more intense than, than saltwater fishing for the most part. I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, there was like my wife could could advocate for me, but there was uh, there like a year ago, a year and a half, maybe it was two years ago. I, I like got on this kick. I was like, I think I want to drop everything I'm doing and try to like, you know, become a, a professional bass angler <laughs> I want to yeah. sell my skiff and get a bass boat and try to do a year of like trying to do, do all the tournaments and i like almost had her convinced i mean she would have let me do, done it if i really really you know if i put yeah. my boat on the market and sold it but I, I ended up kind of backing out of it but um, it's just a, it's cool man i just like that competitive nature and and the push to be the best and like to, to figure out how little tiny things can push you forward as a better angler i think that's what bass anglers are so good at so yeah, I don't have that drive myself, and definitely, you know, for me, it's not about competing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's pretty cool to see how intense those guys. Are. Yeah, it really is. Um, I, I like I've, I've enjoyed watching some of y'all, y'all's videos that y'all do with with some of the bass anglers, and 
Mark, y'all got Mark Daniels Jr. Correct? Yeah, as, as, yeah, he's, yeah. A great he, he's a cool dude. I took him. Uh, we had all our pros down in November. Um, we did like a pro staff summit. Uh-huh. Uh, C. A. Richardson came up for nice. it. Other than that, it was all. I mean, it was like I think eleven or twelve bass guys, and we had a, one of our guys from Canada came down. But I took Mark Daniels Jr. fishing the second day of that, and you know, again, it's just so cool to see these guys just you know put what they know to work right. you know, in my backyard and see them kick my butt. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's pretty cool for sure. Well, being someone who's so when we talked about this pre-show a little bit, um, that's so into or that's so involved in Z-Man and, and the products that they all have. What are some of the products that you really like to fish um, yeah. locally in, in the saltwater inshore scenario? So the you know the 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 one that I find myself going to the most is um, and it's not one of our more popular baits. Um, it's our four inch scented jerk shaft. Okay. Uh, we, we came out with that size a couple of years ago. And to me, it's just like the perfect, you know, just little bite size bait. Um, I fished it on a, on a trout eye finesse jig head that mm-hmm. has a one off hook. So it's a really short hook. So the, it gives the, the body of the bait a little bit more wiggle. Um, and I find myself fishing that a lot. Like okay. I like, um, I really like using lighter tackle, like a, you know, most of the time I like a, you know, thousand size reel, um, you know, medium light rod. I fish very little, you know, that's, um, any very little that's more than medium light unless I'm fishing for, you know, bigger fish out of the jetties and stuff like that. Um, but that little combination right there, I mean, it's a blast of fish. You know, with the light rod, I mean, yesterday I caught a 24-inch red on it, you know, around structure, and just having to pull that fish out of there, light rod, light tackle. It just seems like to me that, you know, when the bite's tough, they'll still eat that that smaller profile. I know 4-inch doesn't sound like a, a small profile, but it's a, you know, it's a really small, slender bait. Yeah, definitely. So I use that a lot. I really, um, I like... Um, I like to, to sight fish and skinny water fish a lot. That's kind of my favorite thing to do. And, you know, we're kind of like y'all are in Wilmington where we've got a lot of a lot of oyster shell and, you know, grass at high tide. So, um, you know, for that scenario, I like something, you know, that's really weedless. And the, um, the four-inch scented paddlers yeah. is, uh, is one that I always have on, on an eighth-ounce, eighth three-aught, um, weedless uh weighted swim bait hook like our chin locks hook or a mustad uh grip pin mm-hmm. is another good one because that's something you can throw in grass you can fish it over oysters it's not going to get hung up much if it does get hung up then um you know you can pull it free it doesn't have a jig head that's going to you know bury down into the shell right. um and you know it works great in you know florida where there's grass flats or louisiana where you have a lot of aquatic vegetation and the nice thing about it is in the shallower water, you know, it's going to sink horizontally. It's not going to sink head first, so it's going to settle down really slow. So it's a little bit more time. You know, we see a lot of, you know, our water's super muddy here, so we see a lot of, you know, cruising fish, whether it's singles, groups, you know, that are just pushing or waking. Um, I like getting up early and, and going and looking for that kind of stuff. And you can put it in front of them, and, you know, it lands really soft. It's kind of, a friend of mine said, that's a splat, mate. It makes, like, a little splat sound that doesn't <laughs> really spook the fish. Yeah. Put it up right in front of them. The way it hits the water, it actually kind of gets their attention rather than spooking them a lot. And it just seems to just kind of settle down real slow. 
And when we designed that paddlers, that's that was one of the first baits that I designed when I started at Z-Man, probably nine years ago. We, you know, at the time we were fishing um, a lot of, um, you know, just fluke style baits. Like mm-hmm. before I was at Z-Man, I fished a lot of the gold jerk shads and that sort of thing. But we wanted something that you could fish like that with like a, just a twitch, twitch, pause, you know, just pulling it real slow through the grass. They just had a little bit of wiggle. Mm-hmm. So it's not a real a swim bait like the diesel minnows. It has an aggressive wiggle or not even something that I really reel steadily a whole lot. You just wanted to give it a little wiggle. So, yeah. you know, I've probably caught more reds on, on that four inch scented paddlers than, than, you know, all other baits combined in the last seven or eight years. I think. That's funny how you'll, you'll gravitate to one and it, yeah. it, it ends up being really whatever. I mean, there's a lot to the bait as well, but like, you're going to catch more fish on what you throw more. Always. Oh yeah, it's so, a confidence thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a confidence thing. Is there any is there any baits that y'all have that aren't necessarily marketed as a redfish bait that you've you found to be productive for redfish? Oh yeah, definitely. The um, you know all the and it's starting to catch on uh, in saltwater more, but all the Ned rig stuff, yeah. you know, that's really just you know ultra finesse type baits. Uh, the little bait, uh, the main one that we make, we make I don't know seven or eight little baits. Um, but the main one is, is called the finesse TRD. Um, what guys were doing is they were cutting in half our, our zinkers, which are like a Senko style worm that's five inches long and making this little bait, putting a little, putting on a mushroom jig head. And they said it looked like a turd. That's why we call it the TRD, <laughs> kind of like the turd. So, you know, that bait works really well and there's different variations of it. Like, uh, there's one called the Lula sticks. It's a little longer and it's got like four little yeah, tentacles yeah. on it. It works really well for reds. And then we make one, um, called the TRD crawls. It's a, it's a, about a, a two and a half inch crawfish imitation. And we make a little head for it called the finesse bullets. It's a little bullet shaped head that's on an EWG hook. So it's very weedless. And for uh, tailing reds in the grass or really anytime they're rooting around for crustaceans, that's just a killer because, you know, you put it in front of them and, and, you know, if if you've used our plastic, uh, and I know that you know this, um, but, you know, it floats. That's a big, big advantage. I mean, the durability is huge, but the buoyancy, you know, just as a from a functional standpoint, I mean, that's something that really allows you to catch more fish. Oh, yeah. And when that thing settles down on the bottom and you put it in front of a, a, a red that's rooting around, those claws just, they go up, they just stand right up. And, you know, you know as well as I do that when a, a redfish, you know, eats what it thinks is a crab that's going straight back to the crushers. So they just, you know, not annihilate it, <laughs> you know, it's that's not sweet. subtle at all. So I've really, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy, you know, how many, the, the percent, I mean, it's like 90% of the tailors that I'll put that in front of have, have eaten it, you know, yeah. it's just they all, they always eat it. Yeah. That's awesome. I need to try that bait. I've thought, and I've, I've played around with the Ned rigs a little bit, and I've started to yeah. fish them more. I fished them a lot this winter for trout, uh, yeah, and yeah. I need I need to start fishing them more for redfish. Like I get so, like with my red fishing, if I'm not sight fishing, I'm like yeah. a lot of times I'm throwing one of y'all's chatter baits, or I'm throwing a spinner bait, or something with more presence because I'm such an impatient angler. Like I want to move through right. an area really quickly, and so throwing something with more presence that's going to cover the water quicker is what I. But I've got to slow down. Like I know that's one of my biggest downfalls 
is because mm-hmm. I'll, I'll you know I'll be working fast with a chatterbait or a spinnerbait and seeing a, a mud here and then a mud there and I'm blowing fish out that I'm working too fast for. But sometimes it's so hard for me to pick up like a soft plastic and just blind cast with like a small soft plastic. I'm like, <laughs> I need to move quick. But yeah, that- I have a hard time doing that too with that Ned rig. But one thing it was really eye opening to me. You know, I mentioned before how our pros were up here in November and um, and CA was up here and you know they went in you know in the in the in the summertime here you know you get the big high tides you know with the right. fish tail but once you get into november the fish aren't tailing anymore and you know they go up in the grass and and it's just hard to catch them i mean you really it's really technical to sight fish mm-hmm. for them and when you see them they're laid up and usually not feeding at all you know it's when they come out of the grass and you really catch them well, he went. He was going up in the grass and sight fishing these fish with a Ned rig, and these were fish that I always, you know, for the most part, they're they're almost uncatchable. Yeah, just and, the laid up in the flooded grass fish. Yeah, yeah, I mean, those are tough. Them, can't see them until you're on top of them, and you know, I mean, of course, you know, he's seeing fish that I could never see, and he had David Walker on the boat with him one day, and Rob Jordan, who's another one of our bass pros, the next day, but I think the first day, they caught like 15, you know, they sight fish 15 reds on the Ned rig, and the second day, they sight fish like 30 or 40, and that was like, it's like, man, I need to be fishing this thing more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's impressive. I think that, you know, when those fish aren't moving, that's when they're the hardest to catch, whether it's in that grass or just laid up on a on a bank. One, you don't have an angle to make a cast. You've got to be really precise. But I see so often where I'll try to sneak a bait in on a laid up fish and it spooks them. But I guess a Ned rig being smaller, moving a it's little just less so water. Small, such a little profile. It's not going to spook them. And, you know, it's just really non-threatening and it looks like food, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So or when you go out, you said you've got a huge red fisher, correct? Uh, bonefisher. 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 Are you are you mostly trying to sight fish, or are you try are you spending a lot of time um, blind casting and, and covering water as well? It it depends on the tide and the conditions. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like for me, if I could get if every morning that I went out it was a low tide at nine o'clock and I could get on the water, you know, before sunrise, you know, around six or whenever that is, and fish the last part of outgoing and the first part of incoming for you know, reds that are cruising and pushing and feeding, that that would be what I would do. We, we're going to get along great, man. That's my yeah, dream yeah. scenario, too. I mean, that's like that's <laughs> like my thing. And uh, But like yesterday, for instance, it was, a, you know, 6.30 a.m. high tide. Okay. Um, and, you know, I was, I was out until, you know, I had until about 9.30 to fish. So, you know, low light conditions water in the grass it wasn't like i could sight fish and that's when i go and trout fish yeah yeah um, you know i had a good top water bite yesterday and finished up and you know caught a nice red and some flounder and you know it was uh you know just kind of one thing i've realized is uh you know i just go fishing whenever i can yeah and try to make the best of it because i'm not in a position where i can fish three days a week or pick the tuesday when the tide's right Right. I might have four hours on Sunday morning and I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I think, honestly, that makes you a better angler in the long run. Like, if you just oh, yeah, always go when the conditions are perfect, yeah. um, you know, it doesn't make you have to persevere through the tough times. And I think you just learn so much more when you're, like, struggling through a day, trying to try new stuff, try new spots, and um, putting some different stuff together. But that's cool. Um, 
Yeah, I'm with you, man. Like, if I could have that low tide early in the morning, you know, you're the first one to the boat ramp, and you get to oh, a yeah. spot. All you hear is the seagulls. Oh, I love it. Do y'all get the ibis? I'm so ready. It's about to start happening here. I'm sure y'all do. Where the ibis, the redfish will be pushing down the bank, and the ibis are, like, kind of running behind them, eating the oh, discards yeah. of the shrimp. Yeah, that is... Yeah, we get the and the, the seagulls on them. Yeah. Uh, usually, that, here, that's, like, an early fall kind of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you get some cool stuff like that. I mean, this time of year, a lot of the time, I don't know whether it's, uh, with glass minnows or what, but you get a a little hatch of those and you'll see a lot of time ibises and egrets and stuff. Um, you know, I don't know if they're, if it's a hatch or if they're just going in and out of the grass when the water's in the grass, but you'll be running and you'll see the, the, you know, the birds on them and that'll be good place to stop and you know trout and reds all mixed in and that's fun that's that's going that should be happening in the next few weeks here yeah that's awesome um that's one thing i've noticed about fish i I, I fish mcclellansville a good bit and bulls bay area it's a little bit closer um i'll drive down there some in the summer on a flood tide if i don't have anything going on and and fish and and i fish the low tide up there a good bit Um, and that's one thing that y'all have that that definitely like the ibis seeing the ibis behind the birds is really cool but that's never something like it's not like I can just cruise the banks until I see that. But down there, I've noticed like sometimes I can run an area and see birds working, and then I'm like, all right, that's where the redfish are. Or I'll see, you know, fish push. I've I've been running before and seen fish waking down the side of the waterway, that, and been able to I've, stop and go fish those fish. That's how I've found most of my places that I fish on the waterway. I mean, if you can, you know, I mean, you, you got to have a a slick calm morning, right? And, and usually in the fall here when they're pushing shrimp or when they're starting to gang up and they're, you know, in, in October, November, they start schooling up here and they're still pretty aggressive. By the time you get into like January, February, March, they're schooled up, but they're, you know, kind of hunkered down yeah, been yeah. hammered for a few months. Um, but, you know, you find a slick calm morning, especially if it's not a weekend and you can just literally run the waterway or, you know, any kind of open bays or shallow areas. And, you know, the fish will just show themselves. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's cool. Yeah, I fish that same area up towards Bulls Bay um, a good bit. And it's, you know, it's only about a 30-minute drive from the house to put in there. And we've started exploring that a little bit more because it's getting just so, so crowded on the water, you know, closer to town here. And then also you've got, you know, a bunch of tarpon up there in the summer, which yeah. has been fun to try to figure that out although i know a lot of people have but i just haven't had the time to get it dialed in yet for sure that tarpon man like it, it like a, a tarpon up north like south carolina or north carolina is a cool fish to catch i've been pretty uh pretty sick with trying to learn how to catch them up here as well and i've had some success but um the in the ocean i've had a, a lot of success yeah. in the ocean the inshore fishing for them I, it's like as soon as i feel like i've got a pattern figured out for them they're just gone. Uh, they're just gone. And one bait yeah. that I, I, I hooked uh, hooked one on last year was the five inch diesel, five inch diesel minnow. Um, that, that was the one that we hooked. You know, I, I've got this one buddy. We've been fishing together since high school, and we we got it in our heads about two years ago that we're gonna that we're gonna catch one on a Z-Man soft plastic, which a lot of people have done, but we just haven't done it here in Charleston yet. Yeah. None of places. Um, and we put in a lot of time. We've been on the fish and just hadn't gotten them to eat. Well, we were fishing in July for uh, for the big bull reds out at the jetties at the mouth of Charleston Harbor, and sure enough, he hooks about a 140 pound tarpon on a five inch diesel minute as well. We're trying to 
catch red. We've been Heck trying yeah. for two years to catch a tarpon, and he hooks a you know a huge one on a on a five inch bait out there. <laughs> Did he have the hook to, to keep him on, or was it more of a redfish hook? Yeah, he had the. It was a like a half ounce redfish eye jig head, and the uh-huh. problem was is that he had a um, you know it was like a maybe a medium or a medium heavy rod, gotcha. thousand size reel, and uh, I mean it was a you know if it was like a. 70 80 pound fish he might have had a chance but this was like a you know legit oh, a real one 140 so yeah i mean we knew there wasn't a chance and it you know we got a few jumps it actually swam right at the back of the boat and the last jump was about probably 20 or 30 feet off the boat and another buddy of mine was out there and saw the whole thing so that was kind of cool. that's super cool <laughs> but it was, it was a neat little bite yeah we had uh this is just a story it just reminded me of but just a quick story so one of the first tarpon that we hooked on artificial up here in north carolina was on top water we went to catch bait that uh that afternoon we were gonna go fish the evening until it got dark uh, and could not catch bait we had like four or five tiny pogies like little small pogies that we just couldn't find the bigger pogies and um, couldn't find any big mullet and so we're like well screw it let's go out there maybe we'll throw the top water a second for like some bluefish Mm-hmm. Cut some bluefish up and just fish some cut bluefish on the bottom for him. And we see some bluefish kind of bust some mullet. And my buddy throws a topwater over there with like a 2500 and twitches it like three times. And something just kind of sucks it down. And he's like, oh, I got a bluefish. And reels tight. And like a 100-pound tarpon jumps out of the water. And he had a 2500 medium light, super light rod. And we fought the fish for a while. It was hooked really well. Um and got him up beside the boat. Like he wasn't done, but he was close enough. We'd, he'd had him to the boat probably the first time we had him at the boat. And the fish jumps away from the boat one time, hits the water, and then turns around and jumps straight into my buddy's chest. Drills him in the chest. The hook went in his chest, pulled out of the tarpon, and the tarpon was in the boat freaking out. My other buddy <laughs> dove on the tarpon. I mean, it was breaking rods and stuff in the boat, but we ended up landing the fish. On that twenty, well, we did. I can't say we landed it. We ended the fish ended up landing us. It ended up getting in the boat. <laughs> getting yeah. in the boat. So I was like, "There's no way it would have happened." So there's, it's always like those peculiar times when the tarpon do like what you dream of them doing. Right. You know, every other time you're fishing, and then when you go out and try for them so hard, it's, you get your butt kicked. Yeah, so that's pretty much my that. experience with them <laughs> over the years. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So if you were to go out and throw a Z-Man product for tarpon around your yeah. areas at the Diesel Minnow. Now, you know, I, I want to throw that seven-inch diesel minnow for him. I just haven't really had a chance to. Yeah. Uh, we just kind of got that roll, and we really didn't, you know, get it into production until, you know, late summer, early fall. Um, but um, the one that that I've, you know, thrown when I've been trying to catch them, and I've got buddies that that have done pretty well, um, is our ten-inch heroes. Okay. Uh, you know, it's just a big, you know, slug-style kind of bait. Yeah. Uh, and um, a couple of guys here have used them with some pretty good success. There's a there's a tarpon tournament here every year, um, and um, the guy that won it last year, um, he uh, it, you know it's all it's always like thirty thirty five boats, and I mean nobody ever catches more than one in a day here. Right, it seems like, or at least during the tournament. So it's usually the first person to catch one wins, and he caught one first thing in the morning on that ten inch here. Did he? So that's probably awesome. be the one. You know, a big pink heroes or a, the big purple demon, which is a black and purple. That's yeah, yeah. Cool. I got a bunch of those hanging in my garage. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably what I would throw, and and we've tried, we've been around them, throwing them at them, but um, and you know, a lot of the guys in Florida really like that bait for them too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it's uh the Z-Man, the wiggle you get from that man. I think it entices the tarpon so much because they're they're bait watchers. I mean, they'll get underneath whatever you're throwing and really look at it before they eat it. And sometimes they'll just smash the crap out of it as soon as they see it. But a lot of times they'll get that drop below it and and come up and eat it. I've uh I've been excited to throw that seven inch this summer too for for tarpon. It's it seems like when I can see the tarpon really well though. I, and I, I oftentimes throw a bait that's too big. It seems like they want yeah. something that's a little bit smaller. But in that dirtier water inshore and whatnot, um, I feel like something big that they're going to see and feel is the ticket. But I, I probably need to stop talking too much about tarpon fishing <laughs> up in North and South Carolina or somebody's going to come slash my tires in my driveway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, well, cool, man. Well, is there anything else, any other products that, that you, you want to go over, anything that, that you have just launched that, that the inshore crowd should know about? Um, not really. I mean, one thing is a kind of a sneak preview. Yeah. Uh, this is really the first time I've mentioned it at all. Um, but we've been working with CA Richardson on a new bait uh-huh. that I think will be a really cool profile. Um, it's a, uh, it's a really, uh, long slender six inch bait with a fork tail. It's got kind of a segmented body like the paddlers to give it a little more wiggle, but it's really more of like, a like CA said, you know, the one thing that we're kind of missing in our lineup is something that's a really good, you know, needlefish, ballyhoo kind of imitation. Um, so, you know, it's something along those lines. Yeah. Be kind of with it, hopefully, you know, this everything going on now is kind of messed up our, our right, product right. launch plans because we're just getting a little bit further behind in our plant. We're hoping to launch it this summer. It'll, you know, definitely be available by late summer, early fall. Um, but it'll be a great bait, you know, either fishing on a on a jig head or, you know, like on a weighted swim bait style hook mm-hmm. and as a twitch bait. Um, I, I fished it a good bit, um, you know, earlier in the winter and, you know, did really well with the reds on it. Um, you know, it's a six-inch bait, but it's a really long, slender profile. So yeah. you're not... It, I mean, we were catching, you know, 18-inch reds on it, too. So yeah. be a good trout bait. Um, and, uh, you know, I see it being applicable for a lot of things. So that's something kind of to look out for coming down the pipe. I think we're going to call it the darters. Darters. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that should be coming later this summer. Cool. So awesome. you heard it from here. Yeah, I heard it from you first. I'm excited. I'm going to have to get, get on ordering some of those. Um yeah, that sounds like I'd be a good bait for snook too. Anything that's got that real quick wiggle, you know, you can throw it up in a in some some timber, some brush, or some mangroves and wiggle it out real fast. It seems like a. Snook I think I think that's stuff. what CA had in mind. Yeah. For also with snook, yeah, you know, snook, smaller tarp, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, any of that darting action, small tarp and mm-hmm. snook is it seems to be the the play. Well, cool, man. We'll we'll have to maybe one day fish together or something. But thank you so much for coming on the show and and sharing your knowledge and your story. It's uh, it's been a been a blast having you on here. Yeah, I, I, it's been fun, and I'd love to fish together. It sounds like uh, sounds like we'd have a good time. And we'd like to do a lot of the same stuff. For so, sure, for sure. Yeah, whenever uh, you're whenever you're down this way, uh, give me a shout, and you know, or I'll come up and meet you halfway or something. Yeah, sounds good, man. We'll do it. We'll do it for sure. Um, I, I appreciate you coming on. I'm gonna close her off here real quick, and uh, and then we'll, we can chat afterwards. But um, guys, thanks so much again for checking this out. If you haven't fished Z-Man. Um, fishing products then you need to you're blowing it you need to go pick some up any of the tackle stores around you um, should carry them so check them out thank you again Daniel for coming on and uh, we will see y'all in the next episode later